Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, as I said, we're going to continue uh, the Fiercely Feminine series, and this morning uh, on Mother's Day, we have the privilege of hearing from uh, who I think is like the matriarch of our church, uh, Denise Mewborn, and uh, she's going to be sharing on Esther this morning. And what I love about Denise, for those of you that don't know her, she shares so much in common with so many of the women that we have studied so far. There are so many different attributes that I could point out, but two in particular that came to mind as I was praying for her this morning. The first is, is courage. Um, we met Denise and Nolan in probably the most difficult season of our lives when we were living uh, and serving in a church in North Carolina. For those of you that don't know that story, uh, schedule a time to get together with me and make sure you got about seven hours on your hands. Uh, it was pretty dark, it was pretty rough, and Denise and Noland were a couple of a very few people who were willing to courageously stand with us when very few people did. And, uh, and they uh, had lost relationships that they cared about as a result of it, and eventually ended up leaving North Carolina to come here and to help us start Ridgeline. And uh, so they've just been a constant encouragement and blessing to me and to Tammy and to Pastor Tyler and uh, are such an important part of our family and our team here. Uh, but the second she's uh, very gifted in, as we've seen through some of these other women that we've studied, is teaching. Denise spent 10 years teaching with an organization called Bible Study Fellowship, which is a global Bible study, uh, Bible teaching organization that some of you have probably participated in at some point. And so it's a great honor uh, for me to be able to bring her up morning and introduce her, and I'm excited to hear uh, what she has to share today. So do me a, a favor and please welcome our friend Denise Mewborn. No one ever, ever cheers for me like that. I don't get woos. I got to turn. I'm turning um, on her mic, okay? Just yeah. want to be real clear. I feel like maybe you should turn toward the crowd. You're on. You're good. Good. Good morning. You know, I've, I find it interesting, and Ryan, thank you for those compliments, but I find that interesting after Ryan's words about Nolan and me last week. Because I don't know how many of you were here or what you remember, but last week, Ryan referred to Nolan and me in the message, and what he said was that Nolan is very wise, full of wisdom, and full of insight, and Denise talks about 90% of the time. <laughs> Uh, and that's what he says to me. That's not what I meant. I'm like, well, that's what you said. So I, I don't know what that says about him, what that says about me, what that says about our church. But I do like to talk, talk and I do like to teach the Bible. And so it is my honor and my privilege to be here this morning and do so. Before we get started, I'd like for us to pray one more time and ask God to bless our time together. Jesus, we are gathered here this morning to know more about you. And so I pray that you would settle our hearts, that you would settle our minds, that you would open our ears to the truths that you need for us to hear from you. 
And Jesus, I ask that you would speak through me as we look at this woman, Esther, today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I wonder, have you guys ever felt like you were just at the right place at the right time? I mean, have you ever been in that situation where you just knew, hey, I, I need to be here, and I need to be here right now, and your presence at that place and at that time really made a difference in your life or the life of someone else? You know, there was a remarkable story of this just last week. A woman by the name of Lavi Munga left on a flight here in Salt Lake City bound for Hawaii. Lavi got on the airplane without knowing that she was expecting a baby. And somewhere over the Pacific Ocean, she went into labor and delivered a baby boy. On the flight with Lavi were three neonatal intensive care nurses, a physician, and a physician's assistant. Lavi was in the right place at the right time. In 2012, pilot David Zetner and his wife were flying their aircraft one afternoon and they happened to fly over their home and they looked down and they saw a man in their driveway stealing their trailer. And so David followed this man, called the authorities from the air and the robber was quickly nabbed. David was in the right place at the right time. Several years ago when we were still living in North Carolina, just on the spur of the moment, one afternoon, I made the decision to get my car and drive to a neighboring town to visit my lifelong best friend's dad, who was in the hospital. Now, I did want to see Robert and check on him and visit with him, but even more than that, I knew that my lifelong best friend Lila was there that afternoon, and so I wanted to have a visit with her. Robert had been in the hospital for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. He was doing well. But during the time that I was in the hospital room with him, Robert took a turn for the worse. And in a matter of about three hours, Robert was dead. I was in the right place at the right time that afternoon because I was able to sit with my arms around my best friend, while we watched her dad take his last breath. Sometimes, sometimes in life, we just find ourselves at the right place in, at the right time. And often we say things like, wow, that was a coincidence, wasn't it? Or man, it was lucky I was here today. Or we even say things like, boy, the stars aligned on that one. But you know, it was not coincidence that placed me in Robert's hospital room that afternoon. It wasn't luck. It wasn't an alignment of the stars. It was God's hand, the hand of God guiding and guarding and governing his hand that enables him to accomplish his divine plan and purposes was present in that situation and in every situation. Now, that 
action of God to guard and guide and govern people and events to accomplish his plan. That is called God's providence. God's providence. And that's what we see through the book of Esther this morning. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, open it to Esther. If you've got an app, open that. This um, scripture is also going to be on the screen. And easy way to find Esther, take your Bible, open to the middle. That should be Psalms and go left to books and you will be in the book of Esther. And what I want us to think about as we walk through this text is this big idea for this morning. God's plan is unstoppable. God's plan is unstoppable. So the book of Esther starts with introducing us to a man named King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus ruled 127 provinces in the Persian Empire. So this guy was powerful. This guy was used to giving orders and having people obey his orders. And we learn quickly after the book begins that King Ahasuerus becomes really irate with his wife for what he terms as insubordination. And so he decides he is going to take away his wife's royal position. He's going to make someone else queen. But who? And how will the new queen be selected? Well, the king's advisors suggest a plan for him, and the plan involves gathering all of the young, beautiful women in the kingdom, assigning them to what I'm going to call coaches, and having these women go through a year's worth of beauty treatments. And then at the end of that year, these women will present before the king, and whoever the king likes best, that woman will be made queen. So the king likes this plan. He thinks this is a good deal. And so he enacts the plan and the plan is begun. Now, in the narrative in chapter two, we are introduced to this woman, Esther, for whom the book is named, and her cousin, Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai were Jews, and they, along with many, many other Jews, were living outside of their homeland of Jerusalem because God had exiled the Jews due to their disobedience to him. When these events are taking place, it is believed that Esther was a really young woman, a teenager, maybe 14 to 15 years old. The text tells us that she was beautiful. She was physically beautiful. She was an orphan. Her parents had died, and her cousin Mordecai had adopted her. So I want us to look at chapter 2, verse 8, to see how this narrative unfolds. Chapter 2, verse 8. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, and when many young women were gathered at the fortress of Susa under Haggai's, that's the coach, Haggai's supervision, Esther was taken to the palace into the supervision of Haggai, keeper of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. So we see here early on that Esther finds unusual favor with her beauty coach. She finds more favor with him than do any of the other women. 
and we begin to see God working his unstoppable plan. Now, at this moment in the narrative, Esther has not revealed her ethnicity to her beauty coach or anyone else because Mordecai had told her not to do so as Mordecai knew how hated the Jews were by non-Jews. And then the narrative continues and we see what happens when the year of preparation is over and the prospective queens are presented to the king. Look at verse 17 of chapter two. The king loved Esther more than all of the other women. She won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other virgins. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. The king held a great banquet for all his officials and staff. It was Esther's banquet. So Esther is made queen. This unlikely girl, the orphaned teenage Jew, is chosen to be queen of this vast Persian empire. And of course, that means that Esther is going to live in the palace with the king and have access to the king. But if we put ourselves in Esther's place, we have to imagine that at this point, Esther is going, what the heck just happened? <laughs> how did I, of all people, how did I come to this place? What is going on? Why am I here? And the reality is, at this point in the narrative, neither Esther nor we know how this is going to turn out. We don't know for what purposes God has chosen Esther as queen, but God. That is my very favorite phrase in scripture. But God knows his plan and his purpose. And as we will quickly learn here, he is providentially guiding and governing and guarding people and events to bring about his unstoppable plan. As you sit here this morning, perhaps you don't know why you are where you are. In a state and city without any biological family, in a job that does not match your skill set, in a neighborhood or a school, where you are struggling to make any personal connections. You may not know why you are where you are. You may not understand the purpose of your placement, but God knows. In fact, because God is sovereign and because God strategically guides and guards and governs all people and all events for all time, God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. And he's done that so that he might accomplish his plan in you and through you. And so I think a, a takeaway from this portion of the scripture, a truth that you and I can hang on to is this. God places ordinary people in positions to accomplish his plan. 
God places ordinary people in positions to accomplish his plan. God placed Esther in the position as queen, and he has placed you and me. The condo in which Nolan and I live in, in downtown Salt Lake City, was not our first choice of a condo. We actually put an offer in on another condo, and that offer was rejected. So although we love where we are, that was not our first choice. It was our second choice. But you know what? The neighbors on one side of us appear to have no faith background, and the neighbors on the other side of us, the husband is Jewish and the wife is Buddhist. God plopped Nolan and me, longtime followers of Jesus, he plopped us down in the middle of two couples who do not know him. And I just don't think that's a coincidence. I believe that is part of God's plan, a plan perhaps for Nolan and me just to get to know these people, be kind to them, show them love, and hopefully one day be able to speak to them about the ultimate love that comes from Jesus. God places ordinary people in positions to accomplish his plan. And guys, he has positioned you exactly where he wants you to be. And so I wonder how does knowing that, how does thinking about that change your attitude or your perception of your current placement in life? Now, as the narrative continues, we meet a man by the name of Haman. Haman is the highest ranking official in the king's government. And Haman is a proud man. And so with his pride and then having the position that he does, Haman expects everyone to physically bow down to him and pay homage to him. But Mordecai, Esther's cousin, refuses to do that. And so this enrages Haman. I, I think Haman has a little bit of an anger management issue going on, but this enrages Haman, that Mordecai will not bow down to him. And so Haman concocts a plan to not only annihilate, execute, wipe out Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. Haman goes to the king with this plan, and he convinces the king to write a legal document, to write an edict that calls for the extermination of all the Jews. And so the king does that. He issues, signs a death warrant for the Jews. Now we have a problem. We actually have a massive problem right now. And we begin to see why God has providentially placed Esther in the palace with the king. I don't know how familiar you are with Old Testament history, but way back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God promised a man named Abraham, a Jewish man named Abraham, that Jesus the Messiah would come from Abraham's bloodline. Jesus was promised to be born from the Jews. So, you see the problem? 
if Haman succeeds with his plan and the Jewish people as a whole are destroyed, then the promise of Jesus to the world would come to an end. But God, his plan is unstoppable. And so the beginning of chapter four tells us that when Mordecai, Esther's cousin, learns of this plan, he and the Jewish people mourn. Of course they do. They weep, they lament, they fast. And then Mordecai knows what he must do. Mordecai knows that he must communicate with Esther about this extermination plan and beg Esther to approach the king and plead with the king for mercy for the Jews. And so that's what Mordecai does. Over in chapter 4, we see Mordecai's message to Esther. Chapter 4, verse 13. Mordecai says, don't think, Esther, that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, if you keep silent, God's plan is still going to go forward. But you know what, Esther? I kind of think that's why God placed you in the palace, is for this particular time and this particular problem. And so here's the truth that Mordecai is conveying to Esther, and it's a truth that we need to understand as well, and that is God will accomplish his plan with or without us. God will accomplish his plan with or without us. If Esther refuses to go to the king on behalf of the Jews, God could and would still save his people, but Esther would, would be the loser. Esther would lose out on being an overarching part of, uh, uh, being a part of the overarching narrative of Scripture. Esther would lose out on getting a whole book of the Bible written about her and named after her. And if you and I refuse to cooperate with God, if we refuse to participate in God's plan, then God's plan is still going to go forward but you and I will miss the blessing. God is the sovereign God of the universe, and he can do anything that he pleases. So the reality is that God did not need Esther. And the reality is that God does not need you and me, but he invites us to partner with him and participate with him in his unstoppable plan, and he blesses us when we do so. So Esther has heard this plea from Mordecai to approach the king and ask for mercy for the Jews. But Esther's decision on what she's going to do is not an easy decision. In fact, from a human standpoint, it actually looks like everything is against Esther and the success of her mission. 
there was already a law in place that anyone who approached the king without being invited did so at the risk of death. So that law was against her. And then, of course, the law, the new law that the king had just written that called for extermination of Esther and her fellow Jews. So two points of the law were against her. But you know what? On top of that, Esther's sex was against her. Because in this time, women had absolutely zero rights. And on top of that, this king was a well-known chauvinist. But as Paul writes in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? So Esther fasts and she prays and she asks her fellow Jews to do the same. And then Esther decides that she will go to the king, even if it costs her her life. And so chapters 5 and 6 tell us of the thoughtful plan that Esther has to approach the king. And her plan was this, that she was going to have the king and the evil Haman together at two banquets. And at the second banquet, Esther is going to lay it all out, tell the king what's going on, plead for mercy for the Jews, and expose Haman as the mastermind of evil behind this scheme. And so Esther prepares, and she plans, and she prays. And on the evening of the second banquet, as Esther and the king and Haman are sitting around the table, the king tells Esther to ask him for anything, and he will give it to her. God has providentially placed Esther in the palace and at the banquet for such a time as this. And not only that, God has predisposed the king to have a generous heart toward Esther. But you know, Esther doesn't know at this time how this is going to turn out. (laughs) Esther does not know the end of the story like you and I may know the end of the story. And so again, as we think about what Esther might have been thinking and feeling, we have to imagine that this woman, girl, teenager, is scared to death. Despite how many times Esther may have rehearsed what she was going to say to the king, Esther's heart must have been pounding out of her chest. Her palms must have been super sweaty. I imagine at this point, Esther feels like she is going to throw up or pass out or maybe both. Because literally, Esther's life is on the line with her next words. But despite how nervous and anxious and unsure and unsettled and scared Esther may have felt, God gave her the courage to speak. And so I want us to look at Esther's words to the king. This is in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 3, Queen Esther says to the king, If I have found favor in your eyes, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, 
Spare my life, this is my request. And spare my people, this is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and extermination. God gave Esther the courage to speak to the king. And as a result of her doing so, the king revoked the edict and he had the evil Haman executed. Participating in God's plan is not always easy. It's not always pleasant. It is not always anxiety-free or trouble-free. Honestly, participating in God's plan can be scary. It can be filled with uncertainty. We can have many doubts. We can be afraid. And contrary to what some would teach, we do not always have a peace prior to stepping out in faith and participating in God's plan. But just as Esther gave the courage, just as God gave Esther the courage to speak to the king, God does the same for you and me. God gives us courage to carry out his plan. And so that's another takeaway for us this morning, is that God provides courage to carry out his plan. God provides courage to carry out his plan. Some of you may know, and Ryan actually mentioned it um, in the introduction this morning, there was a group of people here who moved some from North Carolina, some from Illinois, to start Ridgeline Church. And Nolan and I were part of that group. And I can tell you that we had concerns. We had doubts. We had fears. We had questions. We did not have a complete peace. And God gave us courage. He gave us courage to pack up, leave everything familiar to us, and come to Utah. He gave us courage to carry out his plan to build a Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused church here in Salt Lake City. And guys, let me tell you how he has blessed us. He has blessed us with this church called Ridgeline. He has blessed us with friends who are our family. And he has blessed us with this location, beautiful location in which we love to live. God provides courage to carry out his plan. And I don't know the specific way in which God is inviting you to participate in his plan this morning, but I can tell you that whatever it is, He will give you the courage to do that, and he will bless you when you do it. Now, an interesting tidbit about the book of Esther is that God's name is not mentioned anywhere in this book. There is not one verse in this book that uses God's name or explicitly mentions God. So some people have said that God was silent in the book of Esther. Yet all through this book, we see God's hand. 
the all-powerful, all-knowing God guarding and guiding and governing people and events to accomplish his plan and his purposes. So I think what that tells us is that even when God is silent, he is working. Even when God is silent, he is working. You know, we may not be able to see it. We may not be able to feel it. We, not, we may not be able to discern what he is doing. But God is constantly and continually working to bring about his plan in your life, in my life, in the life of Ridgeline Church, and in the world. God's plan will go forward. It's unstoppable. And so I wonder, do you know this God? Do you know this God, unstoppable God? And if you don't, I would ask that you find Pastor Ryan, Pastor Tyler, me, after the service, we would be glad to help you understand how you can know God. And then for those of you who do know this God, I wonder after hearing this message and the story of Esther, would you just stop for a few moments and seriously consider and contemplate how God may be asking you to participate in his plan. Let's pray together. God, you are the unstoppable God and you have an unstoppable plan. You don't need us, but you want us and you choose to use us. And so I pray this morning that each of us would seriously consider how you are wanting us to partner with you in bringing about your plan in our life and in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.